everybody. It's Monday. It's Fan Drive Time. It's Sportsnet 590 The Fan. It's Ben Ennis. It's Blake Murphy. How was your weekend, buddy? It was good. It was a very sportsy weekend. A couple yeah. of Raptors games. Jakob Pertl in the mix. Big UFC card. Mm-hmm. Super Bowl. Remembered to send you a birthday message. I Everyone yesterday was that. Yesterday was Ben's birthday. <laughs> well, I tell them now. It's over. It's too late. We didn't have a show on Sunday. Yeah. I mean, I, I think I, I made it known that uh, Sunday was my birthday. I appreciated the text. Thank you very much. That mm-hmm. yeah, it was wise of you to put it into your calendar so you would you be able to remind yourself. But it did. Really warm my and heart. Ben was <laughs> what it said. Yeah. Uh, did you do anything? Like, did the kids do anything for you? How yeah, does that work a, as a dad? They got me a card, uh, so that was nice. And uh, my sister bought me a cake, and um, my wife made dinner. So that was good. No, it was a great, great birthday. Understated, I would say. But next year's 40. So next year's going to be a little bit different. 39, it's like, yeah, you don't want to overdo it on 39. Take away from 365 days from now when number 40, which feels mm-hmm. like that's that's got to... I, I, I don't have to plan it because it's my birthday, but I'm, I'm thinking the, the people in my life should start the planning now for... Uh, February 12th of, of 2024. Which is today in 2024. Um, it's the day after the Super Bowl. Oh, is year. it? Yes. Okay. All so right. you won't have to compete with Patrick Mahomes for attention. Yeah. Or Rihanna for attention. <laughs> or maybe Josh Allen. Who knows? But probably not. Uh, let's get to today's stop story, which is, in fact, Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid winning their second Super Bowl in four years in a spectacular game, if not for the last, like, minute and a half of it. But, uh, yeah, they beat the Eagles 38-35. We're going to talk to Peter King later on this uh, this hour about it. And, you know, in the in the immediacy, I thought, man, that the James Bradbury holding call would be all anyone would be able to talk about today. And certainly we will talk about it, unless you want to do it right now. Like it, 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 it won the Chiefs the football game. But in our brief conversation with Nick Kiprios, who was departing the studio as we were entering, because I, I didn't want to spoil our takes, but it does feel like we're very similarly aligned when it comes to the fact that that call was made in that moment. I'll, I'll give you a chance to to let your feelings out before I re- retort or respond. It's an unfortunate thing to happen at that point in the game it's unfortunate that it took a lot of the narrative oxygen out of the end of the game i'm never gonna have too big a problem with the officials getting a call right it just you know sucks that a ticky tack one that maybe only gets called i don't know 40 percent of the time gets called in that spot i'm not saying they shouldn't have called it it's just an unfortunate you know 50 50 ball to bounce against the game uh in general but yeah if the guy's saying after hey yeah that was a penalty and Like, nobody seemed, well, Eagles fans seemed aggrieved by it, but nobody around football seemed... Twitter seemed aggrieved by it, which is why I thought it would be a bigger story carrying over today. And certainly James Bradbury saying, hey, I held him. Um, that's a call that, yeah, I wasn't surprised was made because I committed a foul on the play. And, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of wearing the goat horns here. Um, but, yeah, people love when things fit their narratives. And what was, like, one of the main narratives coming out of this entire NFL season, Blake? Like, honestly, when we heard the commissioner of the NFL last week in his State of the League address talk about the officiating being the best it's ever been in the history of the sport, people were up in arms because they felt, and I think the AFC Championship game was, was, yeah, it did rightly fit your narrative. There were moments where the officiating wasn't great, but I, I, I think people 
really thought that that was going to be the culmination of a year of bad calls. And it was a maybe if they hadn't called it, I wouldn't have felt like it it was an egregious non-call. I don't think it was an egregious call, but I do think people are on edge and 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 very ready to talk about the officiating in this sport, maybe in all sports, but certainly this year in the NFL, people are ready to talk about the officiating. And it's a it's a reasonable conversation point. Now, this particular play, you know, there's 129 plays in that game last night. Do you say that that swung the game? Like, no, probably not. It was at a high leverage spot. Um, and again, it's one of those things that you could probably, if you were really looking for it, call something similar to that a lot of the time. Um, I don't have a strong take on it. I think Goodell's... Uh, not being honest that he thinks it's better than it's ever been. There are obviously some issues with like, as the speed and physicality of the game pick up, it's harder for officials, but this is not a new talking point. Mm -hmm. And it's not like, I don't know. You you've just, you've got to find a way as a league to continue to do a better job of it. Um, But yeah, I do think a little bit of this is Eagles fans are disappointed and that's an easy thing to, pick at and yeah people have been disappointed with the officiating in the nfl for the bulk of the year and the at like increasingly over the last couple of years so it's an easy thing to pull from that game mostly for me i'm just disappointed that like the chiefs scored twice in the fourth quarter on basically mirror image trick plays yeah and like i know that most great super bowls have one mm-hmm. big moment and it's the you know the catch on the helmet david tyree with the He's got bubble gum on there and sticks to it. Or, um, you know, there are a dozen plays in the history of the NFL that have a gimmicky name that we remember them by. Really special. And maybe this one wouldn't have been that. But I do think two touchdowns, three minutes apart that are mirror images of each other was like, is like, hopefully that's what we remember from this game. Not, oh, well, there was that holding call. Like, it would suck if this was the tuck rule redux instead of hey uh the chiefs <laughs> did one of the ballsier things you can do in not i know it's not the exact same play because of how they set it up and who's on what side of the field and everything but basically they were like we think we can get you to bite on this a second time and, and they, they did, did it three minutes apart yeah and they scored on every single second half possession against the supposed best defense in the nfl and a defense that was on a historic pace when it came to sacks zero yeah they got none only second time this season happened against cooper rush and the cowboys in week six but yeah that's okay let's go there next because our conversation on Friday and in the preview of this game and thinking how it might play out and talking about how soft Charmin soft the Eagles schedule had been the entire regular season into the postseason then you finally get a matchup against the Niners and all the quarterbacks go out and yes they get credit for knocking those quarterbacks out with their incredible pass rush but how would they fare against an actual good team that has not even a quarterback at 100 percent a guy who barely limped off the field at the end of the first half well turns out not so well Blake like to me that is the biggest takeaway is that we were right like this it's not that the Eagles weren't deserving. They were. They're a good team. And, you know, even without a sack, they were within a score of beating the Kansas City Chiefs. But in facing a real quarterback and a real offensive line, were unable to do the things that they had done all season long. An offensive line that was supposed to be 
not all that great coming into this one. Some, some, Hey, these guys haven't been playing at a hundred percent and Mahomes obviously deserves uh, an absolute world of credit for how quickly he was getting the ball out. You know, when they went away from the running game, there were so many just quick hitter passes that were effectively the running game, you know, pick up six, seven yards at a time this way and that way. Um, Mahomes obviously, you know, operating the option plays and then being able to do stuff with his feet still, even despite the ankles, you know, maybe that's something that they'll have to reevaluate in terms of, you know, only sending for a lot of the time. Hey, if it's a mobile quarterback, do you maybe need to change something there, spy something there? I don't, I don't know. Um, So I don't want to take credit away from the chiefs in blaming the Eagles who, you know, again, lost by three points. And I, I think I'd probably feel differently about the, you know, the iron sharpens iron side of it. If Jalen hurts hadn't also stepped up and had a really great game. He was awesome. Yeah. And I know only one passing touchdown. Uh, he rushed it in three times <laughs> and he was like infinity for infinity on those little one yard pushes. <laughs> I couldn't believe, like, I know he's good at that. And when they flashed on the screen that he's 33 for 37 on the year, heading into this one on that play, the like yeah. third and fourth with short yardage scrum. to go 33 for 37. That means twice a game. Mm-hmm. He's just like, stop it. You can't. No. Nope. Happens it, once every once a month, someone stops well, it. And it's it's easy for Nick Sirianni to be as aggressive as he yes. is. And the most aggressive in all of football when you know you have basically a play that works 100% of the time. So, uh, so in terms of the Eagles then and your question, like I, I think I feel better about how the Eagles got there because Hertz was so good. Uh-huh. Um, the defense, you know, there's a lot of credit to read and be enemy and Mahomes. Um, maybe it's something where they needed to be pushed outside of their comfort zone a little bit more or, or be able to, you know, have a, a breaking ball they could go to away from the the lighter pass rush. Because, yeah, I mean, Mahomes, I'm sure if we look at the numbers, he was hurried, but he never felt Dude, he was super pressured. So he's pressured 10 times. He never felt super rushed. No. Um, and part of that was, I think he only had one pass attempt that was over 20 yards in the air, right? So mm-hmm. there were, they, they obviously understood the key to this game might be staying away from that incredible Eagles pass rush, which means, yeah, you don't have a ton of time to, to throw deep, which they didn't do. But also, yeah, you got to give credit to the guy who was on one wheel because 10 mm-hmm. pressures, like ESPN breaks down the numbers and what 10 pressures, the way that Mahomes was pressured in that game should have resulted like three expected sacks. Yeah. In the, the the pressure that he was under by the Eagles. Instead, it's zero. And, I mean, that's where we should probably take the conversation to where Patrick Mahomes is now in not the hierarchy, the NFL, because it's clearly number one. I guess we had that referendum when he faced uh, Joe Burrow uh, and a team that, that had owned him the last couple of years. But it's it's above and beyond here now. When we're talking about first five years in the league, 27 years old, you can legitimately now make the comparisons statistically to Tom Brady, who was 9-0 and in the playoffs with three Super Bowls. But, yeah, Mahomes has now been to three and won twice. It's the uh, Jordan-LeBron uh, comparison, right? It's like, is it more impressive to never lose <laughs> or to get there so often that you win a bunch? But, yeah, you're going to lose some because you're there so often. So, um, for him, you know, I think that was a big swing game for him. Now, obviously, he has, you know, two losses in the conference finals, which one of those was in his first full season. You can absolutely see that as a growing pains year. And then, yeah, lost in the conference finals once more, but is two and one in the Super Bowl since and like has gotten to the conference finals every single season. Dude, and the two losses you're talking about are both to Tom Brady. Yeah. <laughs> and it's uh, I mean, and that's, you know, if we fast forward 10 years, that's something Tom Brady's always going to have in the pocket, right? Is Yeah. Well, 
Imagine MJ and LeBron met in the finals, right? Like, imagine th that would be a dif differentiating factor. Now, I mean, and the end of his prime, MJ beat LeBron <laughs> yeah, in his prime, right? right? That's yeah, that's the w MJ Wizards beat Le LeBron's Cavs, you know? Yeah, because he did it in an AFC Championship game, and he did it in a Super Bowl, mm -hmm. right? And yeah, and the Super Bowl was on the strength of some defense, but he was there. And then who was the other one? Burrow beat him. Yes, Burrow okay. beat him last year in uh, in overtime in the AFC Championship yes. game. So, yeah, but, Patrick Mahomes real good. Yeah, I think any time that you're talking about best quarterback in the league and the same guy is in the conversation a lot of times, it's like, oh, has this guy made his case that he's on the level of Patrick Mahomes? And we go through, like, Josh Allen and Joe Burrow and Jalen Hurts, and, like, every time it's the same guy that you're having that conversation about, yeah, he's the guy. Dude. He's the measuring stick at this point, and it's not even a fair measuring stick because he's out here at less than 100%, gets hurt again right before halftime, and, you know, like, look at this Eagles roster and, and how it's constructed and, and what pieces they were missing versus previous years, too. Like, they were like, okay, well, we're not going to do the... We're not going to pay Tyree Kill to be that deep, long down the field threat. So they they tweak what they look like offensively. You mentioned there wasn't much past 20 yards in this one. Uh, Travis Kelsey kind of becomes the, I'm going to operate in the 10 to 17 yard range of the field. And that's your, you know, if you have time, but not a lot of time option. Also hilarious that like it felt like a light night for Travis Kelsey finished with six catches for 81 yards at a touchdown as a yeah. tight end. And it's like, Oh yeah, he wasn't, he wasn't that big an impact. No, uh, it's ridiculous. I don't think it's like Jalen hurts played one of the best games you could possibly play as a quarterback last night. The fumble sucks, but um, he was terrific. And the story still played out of, well, the Chiefs have the better quarterback and the Eagles have the edge everywhere else and the best quarterback won. Dude. And that best quarterback has won a bunch of times in the last five years and now he's doing it at less than 100%. He's doing it as they have to replace his more expensive weapons with cheaper weapons. He had no deep threat at all. Like none. Like, no. And part of it was game plan, but yeah, no. Okay, and Juju Smith-Schuster kind of became part of the game plan in the second half and had a bunch of catches, but yeah. But short. Yeah, that's it. Average barely seven yards per catch. So. Yeah. I would say Tyreek Hill was a pretty big part of the offense. It was a pretty big part of the previous Super Bowl victory and coming back from a double-digit deficit again in the second half against the San Francisco 49ers. So, and, like, the only thing you could really say now, and, like, he did that, yeah, they had three running backs on the roster who were, like, well-regarded running backs before. Guess how many played yesterday? Nothing. He's got <laughs> yeah. Isaiah Pacheco, who is a, a really interesting rookie, and then uh, Jarek McKinnon, who's mostly, like, a pass-catching and return back. So it's not even like you can be like, well, he's got this edge or that edge. Like, he has Travis Kelsey. That's yeah, great. Yeah. I, the, I, the only question you could ask left is, and this is a silly question to ask anyway, but just if you're trying to nitpick, it's like, oh, well, what might it look like without Andy Reid, who's now solidified as one of the best coaches of all time? And the answer is probably, well... Eric Bieniemy's been waiting for a head coaching job forever too. Yeah. Uh, so maybe he just steps into that role. I I don't know. I don't. If you don't think Patrick Mahomes is the absolute best quarterback in the world right now, I I don't know what that argument could possibly stand on. No, the argument's dead. In fact, I want to talk about how you know people love to dunk on other people, but people were really enjoying dunking on Travis Kelsey, who talked about the oh, nobody yeah. believed in us or, or nobody thought we'd be here. Nobody thought we'd win this football game, which if he's talking about the lead up to the game and the fact that they were point and a half underdogs against the Eagles, that's ridiculous. But if he is talking about like preseason narratives, mid season narratives, 
I do kind of, I, I have time for that, Blake. I mean, this is a team that, yeah, lost Tyreek Hill. They lost to the Bills during the regular season. They lost to the Bengals during the regular season. I don't think anybody thought that they were going to be horrible. We talked about that AFC West being a juggernaut. How are they going to get through the toughest division in all of football? They I still think, had the third best Super Bowl odds before the season. Sure, but they do have an all-time great quarterback and an all-time great head coach, and they were they were viewed certainly not as the favorites coming out of the AFC. And the then, Bills. And then after, again, the loss to the Bengals, you could have probably put the Bills and Bengals 1-2 ahead of the Chiefs in people's minds as coming out of the AFC, and who knows if the, the Bills and Bengals end up playing the DeMar Hamlin game, if, if the Bills end up having a bye and yada, yada, yada. But, like, I do, there is an element of what Travis Kelsey's saying that I believe, but now it's over. Like, it doesn't matter what happens in the offseason. The Bills, like, yeah, Vaughn Miller's healthy, and, 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 and Josh Allen's elbow looks, it doesn't matter. This team is the favorite for as long as Patrick Mahomes is healthy and on the on the this roster. They're in Patriots territory now, or if you prefer a more recent one, Golden State Warriors territory, where like to not pick them preseason to come out of the AFC, you like you you better have a, a hell of an argument and a hell of a belief in one of these other teams because we did that last this past year with the Bills, and there will be temptation to do it with the Bengals, and one of those teams might come out. But if you're asking me right now who's coming out of that conference next year, I'm picking the Chiefs because the Chiefs are the team that, like, it's it's one of those things where, you know, in, in the draft, say, the, the quarterback who's going to go is the presumptive number one, you almost start to get negative about him because if you're sitting number one, everyone's trying to pick at you, right? Everyone's trying to make the case why you're not number one. Nobody's looking at number two and being like, well, that shouldn't be number two. Here's why. Here are the <laughs> yeah. flaws. And I think that's what you run into sometimes. And some of it's just like, you know, the Bills get a better play. They get one different play here. The Bengals get one different play here. Things can shake out that way. But yeah, it's five times in a row that they've at least been in the conference championship game. And there's not really like Patrick Mahomes is entering the peak years of a quarterback's development arc. No, it's, he's 27. Yeah, it's insane. Yeah. It's I don't I don't know. Maybe Andy Reid retires and a bunch of players leave for more money and Patrick Mahomes is ankle, I don't know, doesn't heal over eight months. I, I don't know. Mm. I don't know how it healed over thirty five minutes. I <laughs> speaking of which yeah. they're they're to use an old uh shackism, they're the champions till they ain't the champions no more. Mm -hmm. And I think that's especially true when you're looking just AFC. Um weirdly enough, I actually like, I think you would, and producer Mike Gentili asked us this uh, a little earlier, like, I think you'd be fairly confident in the Eagles getting back to that point, too. But that is mostly because the NFC looks like mm -hmm. a pile and the AFC looks very, very difficult where there are more who's up next in the AFC than there are in the NFC. Still, though, how do you pick anything but the Chiefs for the foreseeable future? As long as Patrick Mahomes is upright. Yeah, and, and the Chiefs will play the Eagles during next uh, regular season as well. So that'll be... Uh, much anticipated regular season matchup. All right, that was today's top story. Um, there's so much more to get to. I, I want to start with the the Raptors, though. You mentioned them off the top. They played a couple of games with Jakob Pertl. Went one and one against the Jazz and the Pistons. Uh, giving up 39 points in the fourth quarter to the Jazz. Giving up 41 in the fourth quarter to the Pistons. They hold on against the Pistons, and Pertl fouls out of that basketball game. The Raptors' defensive rating with Pirtle on the floor, though, was real good. And Grange pointed this out in his latest. It was 98.9, which is, which is really, really good compared to their season rating, which is really, really bad at 113.8. But just, like, 
in an overall sense, Blake, the two games that we saw the Raptors play with their brand spanking new addition, the guy that's supposed to be the linchpin of returning this Raptors team to expectations, that looked pretty similar, those two games that I, I just watched. They sure did. And that's a Utah Jazz team that just traded away some pieces and had a whole bunch of pieces out. It was a Detroit Pistons team that their presumptive starting center slash power forward was still in uh, trade medical limbo because yeah. of the Gary Payton two situation. Yeah. Um, so I, I know like James Wiseman is not anywhere as good as Jalen Duran, but it sounds like they're going to try to start those two guys together. Um, and then that like, it just like leaves your team in, in disarray. It was not an impressive stretch of basketball and they lost that game against the jazz entirely because not entirely. They, they also didn't have good offensive process late in that one, but it was an embarrassing defensive effort against it's a, a team. They the got outscored by the nine, 19 points and gave up 39 and, points in the fourth quarter. And everything was so easy on Utah's side. And the Detroit game, you know, Detroit, give them some credit for how they stuck around. And yeah, Pirtle fouled out. And you were missing not just OG, but Gary Trent yeah, yeah, yeah. in that one. Like, there are things, but <laughs> we, we have to do this way too often. And <laughs> and I don't think anything we saw in those two games tells us that Jakob Pirtle's not a good fit. I think you the evidence was, hey... Everything we lined up about why they would do this trade, you saw it in his 42 minutes. You get it. But the why is still missing because even with Jakob Pertl added still in, think. They st- they're still like mediocre. I don't know if I go as far as stink because you, you it, it is going to happen where they'll add OG and Gary back in and like they'll go on a little run Better so that not. the people who liked the trade can puff their chests out or whatever. But this team is not going to like – they're not going to be a threat in a playoff series. And that to me coming off a year in which you were like a light threat in a playoff series. you like, you got threatening once you got down three Oh and mostly just like helped show the league again. Like, Hey, here's the formula for the Sixers. If, if even we can almost yeah. do it, you can almost do it. Um, by the way, Blake Griffin took an amazing shot at doc rivers last week. Um, Blake Griffin hit a whole bunch of open threes in a game. Um, and he got asked after if he takes his disrespect, he's like, I don't think it is disrespect. Um, you know, I, I get those points that helps us and they didn't make adjustments, which is kind of their thing, (laughs) (laughs) which yeah. Anyway, that's, that's an aside, uh, that I just found amusing given his history with doc rivers and their playoff uh, shortcomings with the Clippers in the past. But um, yeah, I don't think the Raptors are threatening to win a playoff series. And we've been conditioned by this front office for a very long time to question, well, what's the point of that? Yep. And they are, you know, for the second time, second year in a row in that weird limbo. I don't, not to me. Like they, they, they sh- because I mean, we talked about this too. Like, Hey, how do you, Hey, trading away some pieces at the deadline. Not only are you going to recoup assets for guys that you maybe won't be able to sign long-term anyways, because they're pending free agents and luxury tax and yada, yada, yada. But you also be worse and aid in your tanking respect. But then, yeah, the counter was always, but they've been trying to win with a pretty healthy roster and been effectively tanking like well done. And, and then, they, what, that's what I'm saying is like the limbo is not, that they didn't do anything. The limbo is that they like, like if you're in purgatory and the, Hey, the light is shining over here and the fire is shining over here. They were just like, you know what? Comfortable here. (laughs) We're going to reinvest in this. I'm going to, I got to get a nicer chair to sit in purgatory in. Um, I don't know. They'll have better times this season. Jacoperto looks like a good fit. It makes everything easier defensively, but not to the degree that it matters. And we're talking about, if you still are looking at the lottery standings and stuff, talk about two and a half games separating eight teams. Like that's, 
you, the the opportunity has almost been squandered because you're accidentally back in a playing spot now, mm. having not played very good basketball for months. Yeah, you gotta you gotta keep the you gotta get back to your losing ways. And a, a big opportunity coming in the last game before the All Star break against the Magic, who have a better record than the Raptors since they swept those those two games. So yeah. We'll see. All right. Back in action tomorrow against the Magic, Mm. another team with uh, reverse standings implications. That's it. And then they're off for a whole bunch of times. Yep. All right. Uh, When we come back, we'll get back into the Super Bowl with uh, Peter King of NBC Sports and Football Morning in America as the fan drive time continues. Ben Ennis, Blake Murphy, Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Diving deep into Leafs, Raptors, Jays, and NFL, the J.D. Bunkus Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Very happy to be joined now by Peter King, NBC Sports and Football Morning in America. Peter, thanks so much for doing this. And congratulations on your big corn dog scoop. It's the video that is taking over Twitter. Explain to uh, the listeners who perhaps uh, haven't seen the video or read your latest, what is corn dog and why does it apply to the Super Bowl? Well, a couple of weeks ago when I was in Kansas City for the AFC Championship game, I met with Andy Reid after the game. It was a lot quieter that day. It wasn't quiet, but it was obviously quieter than it was yesterday. And I said to him, hey, listen, if you win the Super Bowl, I really want to dissect the decisive play with you after the game. So he gave me one of these looks. He had done it before with me one time, and he gave me one of these looks like, yeah, okay. You know, and um, so yesterday after the game, I waited, 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 and uh, so I went into his office. Uh, about, I don't know, maybe 70, 75 minutes after the game. And, um, uh, you know, we discussed the game a bit, and then I just said, here, I've diagrammed this play. And I wonder if you could just sort of walk me through it, what happened. He explained everything about it. And what was so interesting about it is that it was counterintuitive every time a player goes into jet motion behind the line of scrimmage, which that was Kadarius Tony was sprinting across the formation. And at that time, you never very, very rarely see a guy stop and like turn around, but Kadarius Tony stopped and turned around and he started running back across the formation. So he said, hey, look, against the man formation and and after scouting them, we really thought it could work against their defense. So anyway, that was kind of the story behind it. And obviously, Kadarius Toney was wide open um, and he had 11 yards of spacing. By the time he touched the ball, the nearest Philadelphia defender was 11 yards away, which is a shocking gap of coverage. So then I said to him, okay, you got to tell me the name of the play. And at first he didn't want to. Um, And, you know, I said, hey, listen, NFL Films is going to have this this week anyway. You know, you really should give it to me. So he said, okay, I'm going to give you the name of the play. And he gave me the name of the play, Corn Dog, which I found um, surprising slash almost unbelievable. You know, you have some plays have weird names, but 
I basically said to him, don't tell me that Mahomes goes into the huddle and he calls out corn dog. And he says, oh, no, no, he, he says corn dog in the huddle. So, anyway, that was the name of the play. Uh, and at 5.30 this morning, I kind of told the world. So, I mean, to me, like, Corndog is no sillier name than 2-3 Jet Chip Wasp, you know, which is uh, <laughs> the one you right. covered with him uh, a couple years ago, the Mahomes to Hill connection. Um, I, I know yeah. we, we don't normally go too technical on this stuff, but I'm curious, Peter, how much you think, um, and, and maybe you got a chance to talk to Darius Slay, maybe Darius Slay w- was hiding from everyone, um, but he bit on that. How much of that is made additionally difficult because, well, Travis Kelsey is the the nearest guy he's to at that yeah. point. And what do you do? If you, you look up and you see you're in Kelsey's zone, do you scramble back? Do you, do you trust someone else? Like Kelsey seems like at all times priority one for the defense, I think. No question about it. But, I mean, I've watched that replay 15 times. <laughs> and I think Darius Slay would tell you a little bit, look, it doesn't matter how great you are at football. If you see a team do one thing in the jet sweep every time, you know, and all they do is they start their jet motion and sprint all the way across the formation. If you've seen them do it 300 times and there was only one time all year that they did it a different way. And only one time in probably 1,300 offensive plays. If you know, if you've studied this team, there's no way you think that that is what they're going to do on that play. And I think the key to calling smart offensive football is to lull the defense into thinking that you they know what you're going to do. Mm-hmm. Period. And that is exactly what Andy Reid, Eric Bieniemy, and the offensive coaching staff of the Chiefs did. They lulled a very good corner, Darius Slay, into thinking that he knew what was going to happen. Now, <clears throat> I want to fast forward. Three minutes later in the game, Kansas City is in this almost the same situation. They have a third down inside the 10. I think they were at the four-yard line. They have a third down, and they basically put Sky Moore on the left side of the formation. And Sky Moore does the exact same thing. No, the corn dog. So my per- <laughs> it, it wasn't, but it, it was called a different thing because it was on the left side, and Sky Moore was the intended receiver. On Corn Dog, the first read for Mahomes was going to be a run to Jarek McKinnon, and and then he saw Slay kind of playing the play, you know, lazy, and so he said, "Well, I'm not going to hand it to McKinnon. I'm going to play action to McKinnon, and then I'm going to throw it to uh, Kadarius Tony, which he did, and he was wide open." But the the thing, the problem I have with the Eagles last night. As I was saying, okay, look, Jonathan Gannon is a good defensive coordinator, but he's walking into an interview with the Arizona Cardinals today for their head coaching job. Now, the first thing I would say is, you know, fool me once, fine, fool me twice. Oh, my God, we got a problem here. And they ran the exact same motion three minutes after they had first run it 
And they're evidently, and I don't know, maybe he had said to his team, hey, listen, watch out for this weird motion. But nobody reacted to the Sky Moore motion the way they should have, which is, hey, we just saw this. Let's make sure we don't get fooled again. And unfortunately for them, they got fooled again, and it cost them the game. And look, I'm not trying to come down overly hard on any single person, but to me, it's one of the reasons why I named Jonathan Gannon one of my goats of the week, and goat in a bad way, that, uh, I mean, you as a coach, you better stress to these guys, hey, listen, if we get in this situation again, you've got to be watching for this, uh, you know, stunted jet motion. And obviously they weren't, and it cost them Super Bowl 57. So great job from the Andy Reid side of things here. Um, another one I wanted to ask you about Reid and Eric Bieniemy. Um, yeah, those, those plays, those trick plays, knowing what the defense's tendencies are and how to exploit that, uh, really great stuff. The thing that stood out to me most kind of looking back over the numbers after the game was the fact, and, and you notice it during the game, but I, I kind of didn't believe uh, the number when I saw it, that this defensive line, this Eagles pass rush that is supposed to be the class of the league in pass rush, even without the blitz, got to Patrick Mahomes for zero sacks and that's Mahomes yeah, yeah. on a, an iffy ankle um how uh, obviously yeah. the, def- the the offensive line steps up in a huge way there but um how much does that say to you about the Reed the enemy combination that they were able to game plan for this really good defensive line and keep Mahomes upright the whole game Kansas City in essence I think both offensive coaching staffs emphasized with their quarterbacks let's get the ball out fast in this game because both of these defensive fronts can really get after the quarterback. Chris Jones had one pressure the whole game. It was one of his worst games of the year. But as the coaches, you know, talking to them after the game, it's that, look, he's got to be Usain Bolt with a free rush to get to the quarterback if he's going to consistently throw it fast. And that is what I think both quarterbacks did that yesterday. Jalen Hurts certainly did it, uh, you know, with Philadelphia. So I think that is an issue, okay? That is a big, big issue in this game, all right? But I, and I couldn't agree with you more. You, you know, it's smart coaching. It's good play on the offensive line. I think it's more the way that they basically said to Mahomes, look, get it out fast today. Get it out fast. And he did have some scrambles where he had to, where he was chased out of the pocket. But again, you're right. You know, that's a, that defensive line or that defense had 77 sacks in 19 games this year, which is far more than any team in the league. And, you know, and they, you know, they got a few sniffs yesterday, but not a lot. Yeah. Patrick Mahomes somehow ran for 44 yards in that football game, including a 26 yard scamper on <laughs> that wheel that, that was obviously injured even further before the end of the first half, uh, the high ankle sprain, which he already returned uh, from in a super quick fashion in the AFC championship game. You got a chance to talk to him as well. I mean, and you have a, the, such an institutional knowledge of the history of this sport. Like where does that rank in the all time, like able to play through pain, play through something that should be inhibiting you, but you won a freaking Super Bowl and won an MVP, despite the fact that it looked like at the end of the first half, he could barely walk. Yeah, Mahomes, Andy Reid told me about this after the game, and also Rick Burkhalter, the trainer, 
the athletic trainer, he, he they both basically said, look, the way high ankle sprains work, you're going to get some absolutely intense pain sometimes if you aggravate this this injury. However, if you simply just let it calm down for 10 or 15 minutes and the spasm will um, will calm down, as amazing as it seems, it's probably not going to make it significantly worse. And Mahomes said that. But he did tell me when, when it happened late in the first half, when it happened, uh, that he was very concerned. Um, you, you know, that he, he said, look, it's the Super Bowl. I am not coming out of the game. I don't care. We'll figure out a way to call some plays that, you know, I can handle. But I think the biggest thing about Mahomes, honestly, when I think about him as a player right now, he just, you know, last night, this is an amazing thing. Last night I was talking to Sky Moore after the game, and Mahomes was still in full uniform. And Mahomes walks up to Sky Moore. Now, Sky Moore's had a tough year. You know, he's had a fumble issue. He fumbled two punt returns. Um, and, he, you know, so he hasn't had the real impact year that Kansas City had hoped for uh, when they drafted him the second round out of Western Michigan. But anyway, so they put him in the, this position, you know, to, to be a key factor in this in the last game of the year in the Super Bowl. And I witnessed Mahomes come up to him and said, basically, and I forget his exact words. I wrote him in the column today, but dude, you saved the best for last. And, you know, it was amazing. Proud of you. Love you. And he hugged him and he walked away. And, and if you could have seen the look on Sky Moore's face, like there's the two time MVP, the Super Bowl MVP coming up to me and saying, thank you. You helped us win the Super Bowl." And, you know, he, he was just, he was beaming. It was just, you know, just the happiest moment of his life, really. And that is one of the things that Patrick Mahomes does that he probably doesn't get enough credit for. He lords over that locker room and that team, and he is an absolute total cheerleader. Now, convert, not conversely, but, but, you know, you have to prove that you're willing to be the kind of person who will, you know, work. And you'll be a worker bee just like Mahomes is. And that's who he wants on his team. And he's got a bunch of those guys. And even though they were all new this year, he got them ready to go and ready to play and with almost a brand-new receiving crew. So, you know, hats off to Mahomes and hats off to those guys. So we hear last night all of these comparisons and accolades of everything Patrick Mahomes has done by age 27 and where he compares to other active quarterbacks, where he compares to Tom Brady. And I know you laid out a a Tom Brady through age 27 comparison as well. Um, When you think about, okay, how how do the Kansas City Chiefs sustain this? How do they make sure that this is, you know, whatever we're going to get for a dynasty in the modern era where parody runs rampant. And you look at, Hey, he got used out of sky more like that and had a moment with him. Kadarius, Tony, um, you know, they, they've had some, they've had to recycle some, some wide receiver options and the way he yeah. controls that room. How does all of that play into your confidence level in, Hey, even though Mahomes is getting paid like an elite quarterback. Now this chiefs team can sustain this for the long haul. 
Well, the first thing is Mahomes, over the first three years of his new contract, uh, combined, I, I mean, on average, has taken up like 9.5% of the cap. It rose this year, and it'll be significantly higher than that next year. But he has always said that he's willing to do whatever it takes cap-wise. I mean, he's not writing a check back to Kansas City, but he's willing to change his contract if need be. So I don't think that's going to be a huge part of the issue. I think one of the dumbest things as sports media that we do is say things like, oh, boy, the quarterback takes too much of the cap. And, or, and, and uh, you know, the, uh, you, you, you need to capitalize on a quarterback's rookie contract and, so that you can get great players at other positions. Well, obviously that helps. But the other side of that is, okay, do you think Cincinnati and the Chargers right now are saying, okay, we got to pay Joe, Joe Burrow and Justin Herbert huge money right now. And because we have to pay them huge money right now, um, we're going to let them go be free agents because our big goal is to go get guys on their rookie contract. I mean, that's insane. It's insane. If you, your whole life in football is to try to get that franchise quarterback. So now you have to figure it out. If you're good at your job, you know, if you're really good at being a general manager, being a coach, you can figure out how to shoehorn all that stuff in there. Mm -hmm. Obviously it helps to have the attitude of a Brady who said, I'm not going to be a pig at the trough. You don't have to make me the highest paid quarterback or whatever. But I think Kansas city is not going to have a big issue because Mahomes has the ethos of Brady. It's more important for him to win than to make five more million dollars in a given year because he knows he can make it off the field. Yeah, and, and he can make do without $30 million receivers like Tyreek Hill uh, winning a Super yeah, Bowl immediately yeah. after they wave goodbye. I'm, I'm proud of us that we've gone this long without talking about the James Bradbury holding call, um, which I, I think he kind of... He sucked the, the life out of that argument when he admitted to the hold at the in his post-game media availability. There is still a pushback by some that it was too ticky-tacky, even though it was a legit hold, that there were uh, perilously few, by which I mean none, called throughout the course of the rest of the game, and that one ended the game. Where, where do you come down on, on the, the holding call that sealed the Chiefs' victory? As soon as I saw the replay, I said, it's certainly there are certainly other holding calls during the course of this game that weren't called. Now I believe they weren't called because the official monitoring that area of the field didn't see it. Because I think if any official saw a more egregious call than the one on James Bradbury, he would have called it. Now I I've always believed that a foul is a foul. You know, uh, all the people who say, hey, you know, the NBA officials don't call fouls in the last two minutes. NFL officials should be exactly the same way. That is a bunch of horse crap. You know, you tell me, you just tell me, uh, you, you give me the amount of time that's left on the clock when according to whatever you say, you tell me uh, what time left on the clock do we start calling the game differently? That's just, it's just stupid. And so to me, I have zero problem with the call. I mean, if it hadn't been called, I would have had zero problem with it not being called, but there is no question that he was partially 
restricted uh, and held up by the grab of the jersey. And there were actually two different grabs of the jersey, but I think it was the first one that uh, that the official called. And, I mean, I don't have a problem with it. I just think you, you know, and, and, and let, me, let me just make one other point. Let's just say for the sake of argument that that call was not made, okay? Let's just say it was not made, okay? So what happens is that Harrison Butker is going to have a 33-yard field goal, which is an extra point um, to, uh, you know, to basically give the team a three-point lead. And so then Philly would have had, say, a minute 40 and one timeout to go down and either tie the game, send it to overtime, or win the game in the last 100 seconds of the game. Of course, it's a meaningful call. But the bottom line in this is I just – I don't have a problem with calling a foul that everybody – today has said well yeah it's a foul but yeah, yeah you know that's what that's how everybody has talked about this thing and i just i just think it's wrong yeah no and if eagle fans don't like it they, they should have maybe wished that their defense stopped the chiefs even once in the second half which they failed to do yeah four drives four drives four scoring drives yep and uh, could have been a touchdown on the last one uh peter it's been a pleasure all season long to talk to you thanks so much for this uh have a great off season Thanks a lot, guys, and sorry for all the ambient sound in the (laughs) Phoenix airport. All good. See you, Peter. There's Peter King of NBC Sports and Football Morning in America. There's just one aspect of the Super Bowl that we have have not discussed at this point, an hour into the program. That was the halftime show with Rihanna. Spectacular. Did a great job. There was an uncomfortable moment, though, for me, and I thought on Twitter when there was a lot of speculation about whether she was pregnant or not, And then, yeah, proved to be, and my wife having been pregnant twice seemed very convinced that she was pregnant, but my wife also, and man, she's not going to like that I shared this, actually. But once having been (laughs) mistaken for a pregnant person when she was not, knows how devastating that can be for a human being. But yeah, yeah, that was, there was a a real moment there where there was going to be a question asked of Rihanna whether or not she was pregnant, and thank goodness that she was. was Spectacular performance. Great performance. Uh, Luckily, the halftime performers don't do post-game media, so I don't think anyone could have asked her, Mm -hmm. uh, and her agent or whatever putting the statement out makes sense. Um, I thought it was weird, yeah, like, cool, good for you, you eyeballed it, I guess. I don't know, she looked gorgeous to me, pregnant or not, or like whether it was just... A little extra or pregnant i like i don't know it didn't cross my mind until everyone started talking about it and like yeah i guess it makes the floating around on the uh, mario party hoverboard things more impressive yeah i don't know i thought it was great I i thought the whole thing was was good i thought it was a nice um like a nice confidence move to go no features just like yeah no no one there's no one I could add that would add to this. No, it was great. Yeah, well, appara- we've overdone it a little bit over the over the last couple oh, of years. Oh yeah, it's been a it's a real smorgasbord of of artists generally at the Super Bowl halftime. And she did reference in an interview before the performance that she might be joined by somebody. But turns out mm-hmm. that was the unborn child within her. Ah, yeah, yes. <laughs> so- and, I, and who knows? Jason Derulo got injured. We don't know if he was going to play a role. He still did the pregame show, but he was he was playing hurt. You know him and Patrick Mahomes both, so yeah, I don't, uh, I don't know how that would have uh, factored in, but 
Shout out to uh, Tails uh, also, which never fails, except it had when Heads had won four of the last five coming through large. Uh, Gatorade was purple. What, you have something to say on, on Tails never failing? No, just you're going to go through some of the prop bets. So I was just signaling to you that I have one ready. I didn't want to <laughs> interrupt right. you. Okay, what do you got? My favorite bet of the day was Patrick Mahomes over four and a half rushing attempts because all we had heard about the Eagles' uh, defensive line and how he'd be pressured and stuff like that. The kneel before yeah, the field goal? It's not fair. Fifth rushing attempt. I know. That's, that's <laughs> not going to cross the goal line. <laughs> yeah. And you know what? Actually, that was a more legit one than, yeah. Because he, he did move. He, like, tried to, to, to work as much clock as he possibly could before kneeling down. But, yeah. Where yeah, were you we, on Friday show? Did, did you talking about way. that prop. You, you, people could have won millions of dollars if you brought that one up. We didn't get out. into much, though. We just no, kind of right. rapid-fired a few of them. I don't think I gave a single pick on the show. No, you're, you're probably right. All right, when we come back, pitchers and catchers are not scheduled to report to Dunedin until Thursday, but for some reason, everybody was at the complex for the Blue Jays today. We'll talk to a resident of Dunedin, voice of the Blue Jays on Sportsnet 590, the fan Ben Wagner next as the fan drive time continues. Ben Ennis, Blake Murphy, Sportsnet 590, the fan.